I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to look at a very, very familiar passage, one that talks of Jesus right after his baptism. Chapter 4, and we'll start with verse 3. And when the tempter, who's the tempter? The devil. When the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, Please say with me, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. Let us pray. Kind Father in heaven, truly basic to our spiritual walk with you, to our daily communion with you, to our living and breathing and walking with you is learning to live by every word that proceeds from your mouth, your mouth that has all power, created heaven and earth, your power that can change even the tiniest aspect in our lives. Thank you for your power. Thank you for the word which you so freely give to us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Notice, the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. There was a time in this world where the Bible was obscured. And we know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we also know that Satan's studied purpose is to obscure the word. Anything he can do to cover it up, to make it unclear, to make it uh, a great fight over it, or sometimes people have different opinions. Anything he can do, he does to obscure that word. Sometimes there's great confusion. What does the Bible say? What does it mean? Jesus' question was, how readest thou? And we're going to be talking about Bible and Bible interpretation this morning. It is the most basic thing that you and I face as we open the word. And as you hear these things, you might sit back and say, oh, I've heard this before, I know this, why is this woman going over this stuff again? But I want to tell you that everything that I am saying today has something to do with what is going on in the discussions in the church. So please take note. Copy down the references. Go back and study them because this is really, really important stuff. I will be talking about sexuality and gender in the church and what some of the issues that we're facing. And this uh, will be the basis for my whole seminar and it's, of course, basis for pretty much all of what we're talking about this weekend. I was on the Theology of Ordination um, Study Committee that just finished its work this July. Uh, I've been privileged to be on the various committees through the years. I'm kind of old now, but so I've been going through this cycle for many years now. And believe me, the bottom line is what we call hermeneutics, or how readest thou. That is why we differ, because we use the same Bible, but how we actually interpret it is what makes us different in different uh, aspects of what we read. Today I want to go through the great controversy, through the ages. My husband and I are privileged to take groups of people to Europe every summer. We take them and uh, show them the sites of the great controversy and we discuss many, many things. And so I love the great controversy. It's just one of my favorite books. And do you know there is a chapter in there called Scriptures a Safeguard? It is time for you to get out that book 
read that chapter now because we are there. The scriptures are our safeguard and this is what we need to understand. And so let's take a look. Let's go back and see what happened through the time and great controversy. We need special insight at the end of time. This is from Great Controversy, and you see the, the letter X there. Did you know there's an introduction on, in the Great Controversy? Did you know that that introduction is all about how we interpret the scripture and the spirit of prophecy? Take time to reread that too. It's really a very excellent chapter. Notice what it says. Through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, the scenes of the long-continued conflict between good and evil, that's what we're talking about here, this is the great controversy, have been opened to the writer of these pages, who is, of course, Ellen G. White. From time to time, I've been permitted to behold the working in different ages of the great controversy between Christ, the Prince of Life, the author of our salvation, and Satan, the prince of evil, the author of sin, the first transgressor of God's holy law. What Mrs. White does in the great controversy is she parts the curtain and allows us to look in and see all the issues that are facing the different reformers, the different Christian groups all the way along the line. And each of those chapters are so special so we start back when there were very few Bibles. Before the Reformation, there were at times very few copies of the Bible in existence. But God had not suffered his word to be wholly destroyed. Always there was a little Bible somewhere. Different groups preserved the word so it wasn't totally destroyed. If truth were not to be forever hidden, he could have easily unchain the words of life as he could open prison doors and unbolt the iron gates to set his servants free. Do you believe God has that kind of power? Amen. God has that kind of power. He started in the beginning with the word. The word caused the whole heavens to come together. The earth was created by the word of God. There is power in the word. And even if it's chained up, even if it's obscured, that word has power. In the different countries of Europe, men were moved by the Spirit of God to search for truth as for hidden treasure. Something precious. Something that you look forward to seeing. Providentially, notice providentially. I love providence, don't you? Don't you love to see how God works in each one of our lives and our hearts? Providentially, he guided the Holy Scriptures. They studied the sacred pages with intense interest. They were willing to accept the light at any cost to themselves. This is one of the prerequisites for understanding the Word of God. When you can face something the Bible says and say, yes, I submit. I am okay with what you tell me, God, at any cost to myself. And we're going to see how through the time it has cost a lot. We're going to start here with the Waldensians who preserved the scriptures and shared them. The Waldensian valleys are up in northern, northwestern Italy. The foothills of the Alps, there's uh, spokes going out with the different valleys. And here's where a group of people kind of retreated from papal oppression down through time. The gorgeous valleys are still there to remind you, to remind me that God means what he says, and he will have a people. We go into this little cave here to kind of re represent what some of the people went through. At one point, they actually were smoked out of the cave with 4,000 dying. We'll talk about that in a minute. People, Christians through the ages, have been hunted Wherever they sought refuge, the followers of Christ were hunted like beasts of prey. They were forced to seek concealment in desolate and solitary places, destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. 
They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth, Hebrews 11:37. That's from Great Controversy, page 40. There's a mountain there right above Torre Pellici that is very high. It's a nice hike, a really strenuous hike. And uh, it's called Mount Castelluzzo. And Mount Castelluzzo is where, at one point, the papal forces were chasing the Waldenses, and they kept going higher and higher and higher and higher until there was no higher to go. And they got to the top, and the, the papal forces came after them, and they pushed them over, and these, these babies, these mothers, these children, these flocks, everything dashed on the bottom of the, the mountain. Sad, sad stories. And we might ask ourselves the question, why do we not experience persecution ourselves now like that? Why is it, Ellen White asks in page 48 of Great Controversy, why is it then that persecution seems in a great measure, degree to slumber? The only reason, read this with me, is that the church has conformed to the world standard. Oh, there's nothing to persecute. There's nothing. They look at us and they say, oh, that person looks just like us. There's nothing there to persecute. We don't need to worry about them. Therefore, we awake no opposition. The religion which is current in our day is not of the pure and holy character that marked the Christian faith in the days of Christ and his apostles. But you know, that can change. That can change now. With this weekend, we can go, all of us, out with a new experience, a new difference, so that we're no longer like the world, no longer something that they don't see any difference in. It is only because of the spirit of compromise with sin, because the great truths of the word of God are so indifferently regarded because there is so little vital godliness in the church that Christianity is apparently so popular with the world. Let there be a revival of faith in the power of the early church and the spirit of persecution will be revived and the fires of persecution will be rekindled. That is a promise. Right from great controversy. When the word becomes flesh in us, remember it became flesh in Jesus' time. Jesus was the word. But this same word can become our our very essence and our very being, and what it is, then we will be so much like the word of God that suddenly people wake up and see that, well, they'll need to do some persecution. So the Waldensians had a place to preserve the Bible. They actually had a very, very early copy. Nobody knows where it came from. But that very early copy, they sat in the dark room and they copied these things. They maintained the word of God. But because the word was so rare, because it was so hard to come by, they memorized great amounts of the word of God. And up here in Prado del Torno, there is a small school. It's called the School of the Barbs. The Barbs were the uncles, and the uncles were the pastors that loved to go out and share God's word everywhere. And these Barbs were trained in this small school. And there, they taught young people. They taught older people. They gave them a good foundation in the word of God. From earliest childhood, the youth were instructed in the scriptures and taught to regard sacredly the claims of the law of God. Copies of the Bible were rare, therefore it is precious words were what? Committed to memory. Many were able to repeat large portions of both the Old and New Testament. Let that be a challenge to you. God's word can invigorate you and be your force as you're driving along let the word seep through your mind instead of being 
distracted by texts and radio and whatever else you have in your car. The word can filter through your mind, can have an impact on your life, on your everyday life, as you have moments if your words are committed to memory. Now, the Waldensians, because they had to do all this copy, there would have been maybe some, a few mistakes here and there. Ellen White addresses that in First Selected Messages, page 16. Some look to us gravely and say, don't you think there might have been some mistake in the copyists or in the translators? This is all probable. And the mind that is so narrow that it will hesitate and stumble over this possibility or probability would just be as ready to stumble over the mysteries of the inspired word because their feeble minds cannot see through the purposes of God. There might be a missing comma here. We know later on that we've faced that. There might have been a little something here, but God's word is eternal and it lasts through everything, through our human flesh and all those human people that wrote things. They might have made mistakes, but still God speaks through his word. Amen. The Waldensians treasured the word. They sacrificed for the word. They memorized the word, but more, they shared the word. Amen. We're told that they would copy small portions on pieces of parchment or paper, roll it up and secret it in their robes. And as they went out two by two selling things or in the universities or whatever, they would always be watching for people that would be receptive to the word of God so that they could share something, share God, share God's word. That was dangerous. That was not politically correct. That was not an easy thing to do. You and I could do the same thing. I have a friend that writes nice verses on cards and stamps them with fancy stamps and gives personal messages to people at the gas station or whatever. You and I can do more of that. Pass out the word. Share the word. Make sure that everybody that comes within our sphere of influence has a chance to know the word of God. The Waldensians do their part. They carried the torch. They brought it to us. We can do the same. Next in the line of reformers was John Wycliffe. He was called the morning star of the Reformation. John Wycliffe saw that Rome had forsaken the word of God for human tradition and how easy that is to understand things by our culture and our traditions. That happens a lot, just saying. He saw that Rome had forsaken the word of God for human tradition. And his heart's desire was that individuals have a chance to hear God speak to their souls, themselves. We have a lot to thank John Wycliffe for because he translated God's word into English. Again, it wasn't perfect, but God used that through time to change people. What was his legacy? There's no death monument to Wycliffe. The monument is his meticulously wrought gift to the world. Presently, there are 168,000 Bibles sold or given away each day, might even be more now, I don't know. There are hundreds of Bible translations. Many languages are now called the Wycliffe Bible translators and they, they translate these terribly difficult languages into their own language and they take the word of God and make it say something to natives all over the world. These Wycliffe Bible translators are often maligned. They live in very primitive situations, but they carry on that legacy, the word of God in the local language. Today, we have Ellen White writings with the, the word of God in there. We can get it on our iPhones, our Androids, our iPads, 
and we can uh, have them with us all the time. We can download it for free from the App Store. Even though it is everywhere, do we treasure it like that? Unfortunately, when it becomes so common that anybody has the Word of God on their phone or their, their device, sometimes we don't spend those little moments we could pouring over the Word. We, instead, we're checking Facebook or we're doing, sending out a Twitter or we're doing something else. Those are precious moments we could be infilling our, our souls with God's word. Just because it's common now, please remember Wycliffe and what he sacrificed and all those translators through time. William Tyndale's legacy is that he wanted even common people, even the plowboy, to understand and be able to read God's word for themselves. Early Bibles were all laboriously copied by hand to make available as many as possible, but can you imagine that kind of a process? Later, Gutenberg's printing press became the technology that opened God's word and made it thoroughly accessible to all, at great price, though, I may add. None of this free download. It was at great price that those people sacrificed to buy the word of God. Tyndale said, if God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy who driveth the plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. He wanted the common person to be able to understand. Amen. Anybody, not just scholars, not just those in the Curia, but everybody to have a chance to read for themselves. Because when we read for ourselves, God sends his Holy Spirit to teach us. And we have ideas that somebody else will never give to us. He wanted the plowboy to be able to understand the scriptures and to read it. Well, of course, this evoked the wrath of the authorities, and he had to move to Germany. He actually moved to Worms, and he translated the Bible from Erasmus's Greek and had it printed, and he had to have it smuggled into the English, into England, and different versions into the England. Eventually, Tyndall was betrayed into the hands of his enemies. We stood in his prison cell where he was imprisoned for many months, he finally witnessed for his faith a martyr's death. But the weapons which he prepared have enabled other soldiers to do battle through centuries, even to our time. Right here is the monument of where, in a small town of Vivorde, Belgium, near Antwerp, where Tyndall was burned at the stake for doing that for us. What a price, what a legacy, what a blessing. His idea was that common people be able to read the word. The Bible was given for practical purposes, Ellen White says in Review and Herald, January 27, 1885. The Bible was written for the common people as well as for scholars, and it is written within the comprehension of all. This means that you do not need to go and have higher education in the word of God. You do not need to have Greek because it's been translated. You do not need to have Hebrew because it has been translated. You can study. Now, I'm not knocking the original languages because those can shed light onto what it is. But don't you ever feel that somebody else is putting you down because you can't do all those things and study. You can study the Word of God and don't let anybody take it from you. It's very important. Child Guidance, page 13 and 14, says it was written in a plain, notice that, Simple style to meet the understanding of who? The common people. 
and with proper explanation, a large portion of it can be made intensely interesting and profitable to even small children. Wow. That means all of us, even if a child can understand it, certainly you and I can understand it, and we don't need years and years of education. It needs application and a determination in our heart that we are going to learn. We are going to study. We are going to bring it into our, our study habits. Ulrich Zwingli was a wise educator. He was a Swiss uh, gentleman, grew up in the high mountains of Switzerland. He loved the word of God. Notice what Great Controversy 173, each of these different reformers bring a different aspect of Bible interpretation to us. And Zwingli's uh, gift to us is that he submitted himself to the Bible as the word of God, the only sufficient, infallible rule. He saw that it must be its own interpreter. Amen. What does that mean? It means that we take something from here and we compare it to here, and then we don't quite understand it, so we go to here and we find another section, and we go back and forth and once we start pulling in all these pieces from the whole scripture, we get a whole picture of what God is saying to us. And that's what Zwingli was saying. He said it must be its own interpreter. He dared not attempt to explain scriptures to sustain a preconceived theory or a doctrine, but he held it his duty to learn what its direct and obvious teaching. Did you understand that? Direct, plain, obvious teaching. Underline that, write down the reference, Great Controversy 173. Notice what we have here. The Holy Scriptures are to be accepted as an authoritative, infallible revelation of his will. They are standard of character, the revealer of doctrines, and test of experience. Great Controversy, page 7. Notice that infallible. Do you see how it means incapable of error? It's not liable to mislead, deceive, or disappoint. But we can trust the word. Isn't that good news? Amen. We don't have to worry that we're going to just get off on some tangent somewhere because God is faithful. He will hold us. The Bible is God's unerring standard. From Ministry of Healing 462, he who has a knowledge of God and his word through personal experience has a settled faith in the divinity of the Holy Scriptures. He has proved that God's worth is true, and he knows that truth can never contradict itself. He does not test the Bible by men's ideas of science. He brings these ideas to the test of the unerring standard. So how do we know what is truth? Do we choose to go to science to validate, or do we bring science to the word? Okay, God's word is truth. God said it. Now, there is a divine element, which we've already talked about, in that it was human. People made, you know, forgot to put in a comma, they maybe didn't cross a T, there were copy errors. And humans actually wrote the word of God. The Holy Spirit works through humans to write those things out. But God is the author. God wanted it said the way it was said. And that's what the word of God is. Zwingli brings to us the idea of plain reading, that God is the interpreter, not a concordance. We compare scripture with scripture, and we take the obvious meaning, not some contrived, manufactured, cultural meaning, which we call higher critical methodologies. 
So as Seventh-day Adventists, we have picked up on Zwingli's ideas of plain reading. And when the Bible says, keep the seventh day, we don't say, well, now that's just a, that's just a, 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 a good principle. And so therefore, we rest on uh, uh, some, one day in seven. No, if it says seven, what do we do? We rest the seventh day. We also look at the uh, areas that talk about adornment, and we say no gold means no gold, no jewelry. We are believers in the plain reading. However, this is all being challenged now. I hope you understand that. This is where the, the rubber meets the road and what's going on in our, our church today. And so it's very important for us to understand. Washing feet means Washing feet, okay? We don't go and we wash hands. Instead, there are churches that I've heard that wash hands instead of washing feet because it's inconvenient to wash feet. You know, you have to have basins. You've got to have, to have towels, all that. And washing hands, you know, it, it works the same thing. We just go by the principled method. No. As Seventh-day Adventists, if the Bible says it plainly, we believe it. Even though it may be a difficult lifestyle change, God will reward your, ex your obedience. And it always humbles me to hear other people's testimonies. I love to see how the word of God has entered someone's heart and their whole life has changed. It thrills me to hear the power of God's word and he does it all the time. Talk to your friends around. Talk to people here. You'll hear that experience over and over to see how God has changed the hearts of people. Great Controversy, 173. Another thing Zwingli did. Zwingli sought to avail himself of every help to obtain a full and correct understanding of its meaning, and he invoked the aid of the Holy Spirit, which would, he declared, reveal it to all who sought it in sincerity and with prayer. When we study, we don't have to be foolish in our studying. We can use concordances. We can use study helps. People have studied ahead of us. It's good to listen to others, but we need to make sure that what the others are saying don't throw about what the Bible says plainly. That is very important. And so Zwingli struck a wonderful balance here, and he, he explained how the Holy Spirit would teach the heart on the inside. You know, we can do things on the outside. We can hear it go by. But unless the Holy Spirit comes in and impresses us, then we say, yes, Lord, and we submit to the Holy Spirit, and that's what Zwingli was after. However, and this is a really important thing to understand, is that the role of the Holy Spirit never contradicts. You know, you have people that come to you, you've studied the Sabbath with them, and you've gone through the whole Bible study and, and everything seems really clear and everybody's enthusiastic. And the next week you come and they say, um, you know, the Spirit told me that I don't have to keep the seventh day. And right then everything starts to unravel on every front that you have taught that person. I promise you. The Spirit never contradicts the Word. Notice what Ellen White says in, in, on page 7. The Spirit was promised by our Savior to open the Word to His servants, to illuminate and apply its teachings. And since it was the Spirit of God that inspired the Bible, it is impossible that the teaching of the Spirit should ever be contrary to the word. The spirit was not given, nor can it ever be bestowed to supersede the Bible, 
for the scriptures explicitly state that the word of God is the standard by which all teaching and experience must be tested. So when somebody tells you, the spirit told me this, the spirit told me that, and it is contrary to what God said in his word, stand back. Be careful. Pray. Because you are on dangerous ground. You don't know about the spirit behind. I'm going to be talking more about the spirit that attends different things tomorrow. You'll want to hear some of that. It's very, very important. Also on page six of Great Controversy, although the scripture was written by various persons under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, it presents what is most forcibly impressed upon his own mind, a different aspect of truth in each, but a perfect harmony in all. You know, over 1,500 years, different people from different lands wrote, but yet there's a harmony from the beginning to the end. That's why we can compare scripture with scripture, and we can understand that Paul talks more about Genesis, and Genesis is uh, dealing with such and such, and we don't understand everything, but we can look back and see what Paul says about it, and we can have more understanding. Or we can understand from Revelation that we can compare with Daniel, and we can go back and forth. We can compare. There is a perfect harmony. Don't ever let anyone tell you otherwise. First selected messages, 22, the creator of all ideas may impress different minds with the same thought, but each may express it in a different way, yet without contradiction. You can say things many, many different ways, but still have that same flavor of God's word running through it. So what do we find from Zwingli? This is actually the cathedral where he preached there in Zurich. Zwingli was a wise educator. He didn't throw everything he knew suddenly at people in Zurich, but he taught them carefully, starting at the beginning, taking it step by step, only going as far as he knew that they could stand it. You know, Jesus did that too. He said that he had many things he could tell, but they could not bear it. And Zwingli did the same thing in his studying. Started at the beginning, but slowly and slowly and slowly shared so that the people, as they were learning, oh, they were so excited. It was like they were learning it themselves, and they had thought it up themselves, and they were right on board with all of his ideas. The people made up their own minds that they didn't want idols anymore, and they got rid of them. It wasn't something external, but it was teaching slowly and letting the word of God from the heart change from the inside out. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, thy words were found and I did eat them. And when we eat them, the joy and rejoicing of our, our hearts are very full. And I'm sure that that was the experience of these dear people in Zurich we have troubles with our methods of education because we are educated far beyond our obedience level. Every time we hear truth, we have a choice. We can either say yes to God or we can say no to God. And every time we say no to God, I don't believe that. I don't want that. I, don't, I can't accept that. And we start having our little, our little struggles inside. Then we close off a portion of what God is trying to pour into us to make us fruitful vines in his vineyard. We are educated far beyond our obedience levels, so we are not receiving the light that we could be getting. Things we are obeying, unfortunately, become criteria by which we judge others. We take care of everybody else. Oh, they should do this, and they should do that, and we should do, you know, the, our, the, the, and we go on and on in our little critical sessions. That is not the spirit of truth. 
It's time for us to step back, be submissive, allow God's word to work in us from the inside out so that we are fully willing to have God's word abide in us forever. And then give other people slack. If they haven't quite heard what you've heard, it's okay. You love them. Look at all the people that Jesus worked with all the time. Jesus extended himself to so many people, and as he was dying on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And you and I can have that same spirit. We can also say, Father, forgive them. They just don't understand. And it's okay. We need the wisdom of Zwingli. Martin Luther, he takes a hard stand for Bible truth. You can be a Martin Luther. One day in his monastery, he found the most exciting discovery there was. With mingled awe and wonder, he turned the sacred pages of the Bible he found chained to that that monastery with quickened pulse. I just love that, don't you? Ah, he was so excited. With quickened pulse and throbbing heart, he read for himself the words of life, pausing now and then to exclaim, oh, that God would give me such a book for myself. Oh, Oh, what would it be if tomorrow morning when you wake up to study the word, your heart starts beating faster, and you say, oh, God, I'm so happy. What are you going to teach me today? Instead of, oh, it's time to study again. (laughs) There's a complete different attitude when we are awake to the Spirit, when we are so awake and alive like Martin Luther. Oh, that God would give me such a book for myself. And one day he was called. Now, Martin Luther was very bold. He wrote many, many books. And if you haven't seen them, he wrote on the Babylonian captivity, and he wrote about the Pope, and he wrote about the Antichrist, and he wrote about this and that. And he had all these stacks of pamphlets that he wrote, and he published, and he sent all over the place. He was not appreciated. And he was called to Worms. They asked him to retract and recant all those things he had written. It was a hard thing. Just like John Huss, he had written his whole life into those things. How can he recant those things? And his final words can be your words and my words. Unless, therefore, I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by the clearest reasoning, unless I am persuaded by means of the passages I have quoted, and unless they render my conscience bound by the word of God, I cannot and I will not retract, for it is unsafe for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. May God help me. Amen. You... You, someday, will have to make that same stand. It may not be before councils like he. It may be before your roommate. It may be at a lunch table at the cafeteria. It may be in the neighborhood. Someday, you will have to stand up for God like that. And he based it all on Scripture, okay? Unless I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture. Don't be swayed. Don't be pushed around. Ask for evidence from the Word of God and make sure your conscience is bound by the Word of God. Here's the monument where Supposedly, he made that stand in 1521. Testimonies to Ministers 106. 
The Bible must not be interpreted to suit the ideas of men, however long they may have held these ideas to be true. We are not to accept the opinion of commentators as the voice of God. They were erring mortals just like ourselves. God has given reasoning powers to us as well as to them. We should make the Bible its own expositor. Martin Luther did that. Martin Luther was a scholar. He knew the Greek. He knew the Hebrew. He could study deeply. You can study deeply and make it the rule of your life. I mentioned to you early, earlier in this talk that in the, like the last third of Great Controversies, Ellen White has a whole chapter on scriptures, a safeguard. You know, guardrails are meant, it's, we don't, none of us want to meet a guardrail. <laughs> I mean, you don't want your car messed up because that's what it, it means. You'd have a huge dent if you're going down the road and you hit one of those but maybe it's better than going off the cliff, okay? The scriptures are a safeguard. They're to shore us in. That's the only way we know the difference between truth and error is the scriptures. So we test everything by the word of God. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Isaiah 8.20. Great Controversy 592 says, The people of God are directed to the scriptures as their safeguard against the influence of false teachers and the delusive power of spirits of darkness. Keep that little phrase in mind. Like I say, on Sunday I will be talking about that. False teachers, how do you know them? The only way is through the word of God. And so that is why it is so important for us to test everything. Go by the obvious meaning. The plain teachings of the word are not to be spiritualized. That the that the reality is lost sight of. That happened to us once in our denomination. Kellogg was a mind like nobody's mind. He had so many ideas. He was so clever. He was such a wonderful lecturer. He understood health. And he was so upset with the ministry of this church because the ministers still ate meat and he knew that you shouldn't eat meat and he could prove it to you. And he allowed a bitter spirit to come into his experience. And this little bit of bitterness meant that he interpreted things a little bit differently. And he tried to look at the Bible and in the Living Temple, which was his pantheistic book that he submitted for publication and was ultimately not accepted for publication, what he did was he spiritualized things. He spiritualized it so that the reality, that means the plain reading, was completely changed and done away with. And so it was opposite to what it was actually saying. And that was called the alpha of, a, of, a, omega, uh, the alpha of apostasy. We are going to be facing an omega apostasy. Um, and that very well could be, I don't know, I, you know, I'm not for sure, but in my studies, I believe it's going to be the same spiritualizing of the word of God. When you can read something in the word of God and you can say, oh, that doesn't really say that. That means da-da-da-da-da because of culture, because of this, because of that. And that very, same, that very word there doesn't mean that anymore because I've spiritualized it away. The plain teachings of the word of God are not to be so spiritualized that the reality is lost sight of. First, selected messages 170.
Do not overstrain the meaning of the sentences in the Bible. Take, read this with me, take the scriptures as they read, okay? Don't allow anybody to spiritualize it away. Counterfeits are very interesting because they're very, very close. And when something good is happening, Satan will take something else that, and it's almost the same. And this is what Ellen White says about counterfeits, 593, in Great Controversy. So closely will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible, impossible to distinguish between them except by the Holy Scriptures. By their testimony, every statement and every miracle must be tested. To stand alone, you and I will stand alone. There's no question about that. Sooner or later, you and I will stand by ourselves. We will be in a prison maybe, maybe we'll be out running in the mountains here somewhere, barefoot, in spite of snakes. <laughs> we will stand alone and this word must be so incorporated into our lives that the preciousness of God's word will always be there. Those who endeavor to obey all the commandments of God will be opposed and derided. They can stand only in God. In order to endure the trial before them, they must understand the will of God as revealed in his word. They can honor him only as they have a right conception of his character, Amen. government, and purposes, and act in accordance with them. Did you notice that government? We don't need to fear these times. You know, some people, they fear the time of trouble. They are just very frightened. But God never brings us to a place where he hasn't provided for us ahead. We can have that Savior with us through the darkest hour. Great Controversy tells us that, that those prison cells will be lit up with the glory of angels as they come to, to comfort and strengthen us. Remember when Jesus was in his last trial there at Gethsemane? He was bowed down. He was so sad. He was struggling with the world on his shoulders. Angels came to comfort him. Angels will come to comfort you. We're told that when we get to heaven, we'll, we'll recognize a voice because we've so often heard it here in life. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. I, just, I just love to, to think about that. Oh, I want to be able to recognize that voice. Yeah. And angels, well, maybe there's no humans around us. Maybe there's none of our friends, but that angel, that angel is always there. Praise the Lord. None but those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. Notice this one and from Acts of the Apostles, Acts of the Apostles 471. As in the days of the apostles, men tried by tradition and philosophy to destroy faith in the scriptures. So today, by pleasing sentiments of higher criticism, evolution, spiritualism, theosophy, and pantheism, the enemy of righteousness is seeking to lead souls into forbidden paths. To many, the Bible is as a lamp without oil because they have turned their minds into channels of speculative belief that bring misunderstanding and what? Confusion. The work of higher criticism and dissecting, conjecturing, reconstructing 
is destroying faith in the Bible as divine revelation. It is robbing God's word of power to control, uplift, and inspire human lives. So what do we mean by higher criticism? Higher criticism is a method by which you look at the word and you say, oh, this is maybe, maybe true, maybe false. You know, it's, could, you know, Matthew has many stories in it, but may, just maybe it's a myth. You know, a lot of stories came after Jesus' life, and Matthew just collected all these stories and put them in together. And therefore, it emphasizes the human aspect of the Word of God. And do you see the final result of what happens here? It destroys faith. You and I need faith to know that this word of God is our beacon and our light and that we can never be confused by it. But when higher criticism comes in and brings doubt, well, we don't know that it really means that, okay? And then they'll spin some story about Ephesus or some story about the culture of the time and how their culture had this kind of influence and there was this kind of bias in the life of the person that wrote it. So we don't know whether we can really you know, believe what it says. This is what the Bible says, but as enlightened individuals, we can look at that and we can say, well... Um, that's what they believed, and we can get their meaning and then interpret it for our circumstance today. That destroys faith in the plain reading of the word, okay? And this is what has happened so often in um, universities outside of our church where... um, People go on for their doctorates and their PhDs and all this. What happens is they don't really even believe in the word of God. A few years ago, uh, my mother, who writes books on Chinese characters, Dr. Ethel Nelson, if those of you who have read any of her books, she met with a, a gentleman uh, who had come from China who was being uh, trained in one of the universities of this land. And he went there, and all the faculty there were Jewish atheists. And so he, as a Chinese atheist, did very well in that school because there was no faith involved. It was all a theoretical higher critical methodology of looking at old scriptures and seeing what it meant back then and therefore taking this and that. And then my mother, I mean, he has this lofty PhD from one of the Ivy League schools, and then my mother's trying to explain to him, do you think that he had any respect for what she was saying? No, because he had been so brainwashed by all of these other individuals that they, they had completely taken away the seed from the word of God. Work of higher criticism and dissecting, conjecturing, reconstructing is destroying faith in the Bible as a divine revelation. It is robbing God's word of power to control, uplift, inspire human lives. Acts of the Apostles 471. So what can we expect? In the great final conflict, Satan will employ the same policy, manifest the same spirit, and work for the same end as in all the preceding ages. You know, he kind of goes on this cycle thing, the devil. You know, if it's worked before, he's apt to try it again. That which has been will be, except that the coming struggle will be marked with a terrible intensity such as the world has never witnessed. Satan's deception will be more subtle, his assaults more determined. If it were possible, he would lead astray the elect. Great controversy. 11. In spite of what the world is doing, 
in spite of how everybody's getting mixed up, in spite of schools putting this interpretation or that interpretation, in spite of this independent ministry or that independent ministry, in spite of all these, you know, sometimes I stand back and I look at this world and try to think of how God must look at it. I think that in Ezekiel, the wheels within wheels gives us a good idea of what God must see because there's so many intricate designs. You have your life. You are within a, a social class. You are within your school. You are influenced by this. You are influenced all the interrelations of this, that, and it's just wheels within wheels everywhere. But know that in spite of the wheels and within wheels, that God is in control of everything and uses his providence to use even the evil to make it come out right in the end. That's the end of the great controversy. That even People who hated Jesus, they killed him on the cross. But they fulfilled God's will in the end. And they didn't win. Satan didn't win. It was so beautiful last night when the pastor brought out how in Revelation 12, the great climax of Revelation. If you want to turn with me to Revelation chapter 12, I just love this, this verse. There was a war in heaven, verse 7, verse 8. He prevailed not. Great dragon was cast out. This is all great controversy language. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. With Messiah cut out at that point. And then notice the next verse. How did the remnant overcome they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by what? The word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. There's been this huge war down through time. There's been great conflicts. But God has always had a people. It started with the Waldensians. It, went, it was carried on by by Zwingli and Luther and all the uh, Huss. We didn't even get into Huss at all. But all these great reformers. But you can be a reformer. You can stand for truth where you are. And that's it, precisely what God wants. Great Controversy says, but God will have a people upon the earth. That's you. Amen. That's you. That's you. You are those people upon the earth to maintain the Bible and the Bible only as the standard of all doctrines and the basis for all reforms. The opinions of learned men, the deductions of science, the creeds or decisions of ecclesiastical councils as numerous and discordant as are the churches which they represent. The voice of the majority, not one nor all of these should be regarded as evidence for or against any point of religious faith before accepting any doctrine or precept that's a teaching we should demand a plain thus saith the Lord in its support found in great controversy 595 that is the chapter I'm recommending scripture a safeguard. There's no reason why we are to be deceived. We've been told the battle plan, we've been told, and it's up to us now to study, to learn, to understand, and to accept it as plain, thus saith the Lord. 
I have a disc that I would like to share with all of you. Uh, I will have a Christian Heritage Media booth whenever the booths are tomorrow, I guess 1.30 or so. And if you don't have money, you don't have to pay a thing. You can just pick one up. Um, you can put a donation so I can print more sometime. Um, but it's Women and the Word of God, and I discuss some of these things. And I will be discussing more of the gender issues as we go on tomorrow. But uh, you are welcome to stop by the booth and pick this up. I would like us, please, to renew in our hearts right now a love for the truth. Would you please close your eyes? Dear Father, we know the storm is coming and that you have many, many deceptions out there. It's too many to know, but that if we know the Word of God, you have promised to send us the Holy Spirit, the angels, everybody in heaven to teach us and to keep us focused on you in this time when interpretations are very mixed up Lord I just pray that you'll be with each one of us help us to be willing not only to listen but to implant those things deep in our heart Right now, I wish to ask you, is there something in the Word of God that you know that you should be following and you are putting that on hold? Maybe it's something in the spirit of prophecy. I mean, the spirit of prophecy is inspired too. And there's something there that you don't quite know what to do with. Would you like to take a moment and turn that over to Jesus? Say, Jesus, I surrender all. Just take a moment. Lord, is by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. stand not by our own power not by anything in us but by that same power by which you created the world thank you Jesus I praise you and thank you in Jesus name amen This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.